Our scripture reading this afternoon comes from Isaiah 40, verse 1 to 5. Isaiah 40, verse 1 to verse 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And cry to her, that her welfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for your God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of God. Comfort, comfort my people. This is a wonderful promise. The promise of comfort. It is a wonderful promise. It's not because what it says, but because who is the one who promised. Because our human sometimes will promise things that we can't do for different reasons. We try to keep our promise, but there are circumstances can change or can stop us from keep our promise. But here, the faithful one, who is the one that promised us, saying, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. That's why we know when he, say, when he say, says it, he mean it. He will fulfill it. Isaiah chapter 39 closes on a negative note. For the people of Judah, there was something of a revival under King Hezekiah, who trusted God to save Jerusalem from Assyria. But Judah will not escape its sister Israel's fate. Judah was rotten to the core and Babylon would carry the people into exile. Just as Assyria had captured the Israelites, Judah's sin increased after Hezekiah. Especially in the era of Manasseh, who did all kind of evil. And we can read that in 2 King chapter 21. For example, verse 2 said, Manasseh did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. 
Verse 9 says that Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nation had done whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. Israel's words to Hezekiah were finally fulfilled in 586 BC when the of Babylon conquered Jerusalem and took King Zedekiah and the people of Judah into exile. We can read that in 2 King chapter 25. We see here that Isaiah 1 to 39 always warned people for their sin. But the people, most of the times, they don't listen. They just even think that they are better than the other nations. That's why God will not leave them or God will not lead them to exile. Or even they think that God will not discipline them or judge them. In Isaiah 1 to 39, even that, but God always said that his grace is there. And he's waiting for his people to come back. He's waiting for his people to repent. And we can see that from chapter 1 to chapter 39. For example, Isaiah 4, verse 5, uh, said, Then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of flaming fire by night. For over all the glories there will be canopy. Canopy, there will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for refugee and shelter from the storm and rain. It is the central point of Isaiah from chapter 40 to chapter 66. God's people cannot save themselves. So this restoration would have to begin with the return of the Lord's blessed presence. This is what Isaiah announced here in this passage in chapter 40. God speaks words of comfort to his people, assuring them that his final purpose for his children is not death. His final purpose is not destruction. There would be an exile. There will be an exodus, deliverance for his people. But the Lord would make a provision for their forgiveness and life and the restoration. And we can see that in verse 1 and 2 in Isaiah 40. Isaiah also presents the voice of Harold calling for the people to prepare the way of the Lord. In the wilderness. Everything would have to be made straight so that God would have an easy return. This is an image of a spiritual preparation. It would be impossible for people who are outside of their land 
to prepare their land physically, but he is speaking about preparing the heart to receive him. Announcing this word as the prophet appeals to Exodus imagery, the sense is likely that God would come from his place on Sinai to save his people. New Exodus was coming as in the days of Moses. God would meet his people in the wilderness to rescue them again, to save them again. Think even the image of Exodus, we see the people were under bondage in Egypt. But God himself saved them from this bondage and delivered them. If you remember when Peter John was Jesus on the mountain, uh, transgression mountain, and Moses and Elijah appeared. They were talking about Jesus' exodus, meaning Jesus' this. And this imagery said it means that without the work of Jesus on the cross, there will not be salvation. The salvation in any time, Old Testament or New Testament, is part of God's covenant and promises for us that he will not deliver us to this. Even when Adam did sin, the wage of sin is this. But God had a way to save his people all the time and in every age. The Babylon captivity happened because of the sin of Judah. We see in Babylonian captivity, they suffer because of their sin. Even we are here today, our suffer, everything happened to us that we don't like, it's because of our sin. But here, God gives the word to his people who were suffering because of their sin and stubbornness. What was this word? What is the word for us in the midst of our sin? Does God cry out over us and say, shame on you, says your God? Of course not. Does he say it's too late now because you did not listen before? No. This is the heart of God towards his children. Our God is God of grace who delight to renew to redeem, indeed to comfort us. If you think of book of Luke when he talks about the, the, the young son who left the father's house, you know, in Middle Eastern background, background for this parable, it's really hard to come to your father and say, give me my inheritance or my portion. It means this father died because you will not receive inheritance before the father died. But even that, the father didn't close the door before his son. He was waiting for his son to come back. It doesn't matter what we do. God is still waiting for us to repent and come back. Yes, sometimes we go through discipline. 
we go through suffer, but his call as a father, his plan for his children to be saved, not to be destroyed. In these five verses, we have two points. The first one declares God's grace to us, even in the midst of our sin. Verse 3 to 5, how to respond to his grace? What is our response to his grace? The first point, God declares his grace to us. We need to know and believe God's love, mercy, and grace for us. Sometimes we know with our brain, we read it in the Bible, but when we do sin, sometimes we think that he's not God of grace. Sometimes the devil deceives us to let us to go far more and more far from God because the devil doesn't like us to turn back to God. But we have to believe the love of our, and the love of our Father, his mercy and grace for us. Even when we disobey or lost in Babylon, if we are God's children, he loves us. And it is love that draws us to himself. Let us think of the kindness of God that we see in the first two verses. They are the foundation for all that follows. Those two verses reveal to us the heart of God and his grace. The voice of the Lord himself saying over you, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. The word comfort in Hebrew literally means take deep breath. Breathe deeply again. After time of stress, a season of great tension and sorrow, after painful afflictions, that moment of relief to sit back and you are saved. Everything is fine. I think most of us go under some kind of difficult situation or stress. But when we find the solution, we take deep breath. We breathe deeply because the solution has come. It's there. If we know our God, then we should Take this deep breath all the time because he, he is the one who look after us, who care for us. He is the one who has a solution, not us. Let my people breathe easy again. Comfort, comfort my people. Remove that burden, the burden of sin, and let them be comfort. The most beautiful thing in this world that the Lord declares his ownership of us and this go with the answer of the first question in catechism I think you remember or memorize this question what is your life what is your only comfort in life and in this and the answer is that I am not my own someone else greater than me greater than anyone else the creator of the universe, the creator of heavens and earth, own me, and this comfort me. 
I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me for eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. This is a comfort. The comfort that he promised that we are not alone. We are not even on ourselves. We are his. We are his children. Think about that. If you have children, especially young children, babies, they are not worried. They don't go through stress. Because somebody else look after them. If we think of that, we will not go through any stress. Because he on us, we are his. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Even if you feel that he hides his face from you because of your sin, even captivity of Babylon, even if, we, if, we, if you sent away from the temple, even if you feel and deserve to be abandoned from heaven, what we hear, you are not disowned by him. God still calls us, his people, his children, and he takes pleasure even now yet to be known as our God, as our Father. This is a comfort. You are my people. This is only by his grace. It's not because we deserve it. It's because his grace. Because he chose us. He chose us to be his children, his people. This is the comfort. He is our God. We are not rejected through discipline. We are loved. We are his children. When even as a father, as a parent, when we discipline our children, not because we hate them, but because we love them and we like them to live good life and has better future, that's why we discipline our children. The Lord spoke these words when you are in captivity in Babylon. He did that to comfort us. Here he declares the tune in which this word announced to us. He declares his word tenderly. He speaks tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. In Hebrew says, speak to the heart. Speak tenderly means to speak to the heart of Jerusalem and say to her, when you speak tenderly to the person, you speak to the heart. God wants these words to reach our hearts, not only our mind. He commanded the leaders and prophets to speak not with the voice of condemnation, but to speak to the heart. The Hebrew word, it means to speak gently to Jerusalem. He speaks softly to the heart and says this. What is this word that announced here to bring us discomfort? The word that comforts people that her warfare is ended. 
What does it mean? Here where fair is ended. It means the time of service is completed, is done, is ended. God declared to Jerusalem that her time of service is ended. It is like to serve in military. I know military here in Canada, you choose to go military. And it's not like military in Middle East, for example, in Egypt. Military, you have to go. You don't have another option. And it doesn't even treat you as human. You treat you as a tool. Your weapon has more value than you in Egypt. Then you are very happy when you finish or you end your service in the military. It's a time of deliverance. It's a time you, it says literally in Egypt, when you come out of the service of the military, you were born again. If you really come, especially if you are Christian, it will be more difficult. This is means that service is ended. All the suffer, all the sin, God pardoned it. God saved it, saved us. This is also referred to the time of enslave is ended. In Old Testament, you cannot pay, if you cannot pay back what you owe, then you are put into forced labor for certain of time. Your work, you work till your debt paid off or the end of the service. And there was a Sabbath year. When it comes, the slave will set free in the year of Jubilee. Debts being forgiven. Then this is what it means service ended. Judah was sent off to Babylon because of deep debts of sin against God. We too sin against God. Our suffering is because of our sin. But God uses it to wake us up. The word of comfort here is that a burden of suffering owed in account of Judah's sin is over. Your term of bondage is ended. The freedom, deliverance, salvation comes. The basis of that freedom of the bondage say to Jerusalem that her time of service is ended. Indeed, her iniquity is pardoned. The debt, the debt is our sin. Her iniquity is being forgiven. This is the joy that God gave us when he forgave us. Because when he forgave our sin, he restored us to him. He restored the fellowship with God. When Adam did sin, he's been separated from God. When Jesus came and died on the cross, we came back to the relation, relation and fellowship with the Father. God pleased to sacrifice for our sin. The sacrifice is to restore a person to the joy of relationship with our Father. The pardon doesn't mean you escape the punishment, but here it means that God restored the joy in us. Our iniquity is propitiated because Jesus paid for it on the cross. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And some people think that God punished Israel, uh, Judas twice. But the question is, if the wage of sin is this, what else, what other punishment more than this? Nothing. 
But here, when it says that, it means that he covered her sin. The Hebrew word doesn't mean it's not mathematic process. But it means like when you cover, when you fold the paper like this and match the all sides, it means here all her, her debts is being paid, is covered. Jesus paid it all, paid for all our sin. Then the word double here doesn't mean she received double punishment because there is no such sin deserve less than this because the wage of sin is this but here it means God being satisfied and pleased to restore his people again because his grace then the word double it's not a mathematic operation it means to bring equal match sides with the sin it means that the punishment has now been exacted that perfectly matches and satisfied for the crime. It means that justice has been met fully and perfectly and precisely against us because God paid for our sin through the work of Jesus Christ. He restored our joy and fellowship with the Father. What a comfort. The good news for us is that sin's power has been conquered. Its penalty removed and its price has been paid for. Jesus Christ has fully paid for all of our sins, his precious blood, and has set us free from the power of the devil. This is the comfort. This is the good news. This is the grace of God, not us. Verse 3 to 5. How to respond to this grace? How to respond to God's grace? A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make a straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. What is our response? What to do now in the light of this good news. It's not what to do to earn the grace of God or to earn our freedom or to earn our salvation. But what our response to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, what is our response of God's grace? We have to Respond by preparing the way. But how to prepare the way? He expects them to go out with big axe and a shovel and start to digging and filling in things? No. And Isaiah 57 tells us how to prepare the way. Verse 14 and 15, Isaiah 57. And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is 
of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of contrite. How to prepare the way to give our hearts to the Lord? To cry with David says, pure heart created in me, O Lord. We can't purify our hearts. If we go to Isaiah 6, when Isaiah felt that he's unclean and he's not deserved to be in the presence of the Lord because the Lord is holy, God touched his mouth. He forgave his sins. This is how to respond to give our hearts to the Lord and tell him, pure my heart. David one time asked it, what can I give to God? What can I give back to God for all these good things that he has given to me? And said, the cup of salvation I receive. Still, even when we try to respond, we take from God. But we give him ourselves. We give him our hearts. And we can't do that. We can't do that without the Holy Spirit. Repentance is our response. John Baptist quoted this text from Isaiah 40 to prepare the way for our Savior. We can read that in Luke chapter 3. Tells us that he went into all, all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He quoted Isaiah 40, verse 3 to 5. It says here, Luke 3, verse 4, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepares the way of the Lord. Then how to prepare the way of the Lord, how to respond to his grace, we should repent. Also in verse 7, Luke 3, 7, said he said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, peer fruits in keeping with repentance, then preparing the way by repenting, to repent. John is doing the very thing that Isaiah 40 and 57 would have him to do. Prepare the way of the Lord. How do we prepare for his coming? Well, this God who is high and lifted up, this Lord whose name is holy, come to dwell with whom? It doesn't say with rich people, powerful, mighty, successful, smart. He comes to dwell with those who are lowly, contrite, and broken. If we came in here, crushed down by, by what is going on in our life and we are humble and know that we are not deserved to meet him because of our sins he will accept us accept our repentance but if we come in here feeling pretty good and confident and we have self-righteousness then our heart is not prepared when John comes on the scene he says I'm preparing the way 
for the one that Isaiah predicted. I come with a baptism of repentance. Here is what I want you to do and need to do. People just lined up what to do when they lined up in front of John the Baptist. And asked, what do we do? He said, stop cheating people. What about me? What do I do? Be content with you have. What do I do? Stop seeing ourselves better than others. Stop being so greedy. Stop looking so selfish. Stop making everything about ourselves. Make God as a center. He's a greater, not us. Focus on him and let him do the work in our life. Preparing the way to require great humility. Are we humble enough to repent? Sometimes it's easy to justify our sin more than to say, oh, we do sin and we need to repent. People come to know Christ in all sorts of different ways. But one thing is constant. If we are to the children of God, we are deeply sorry for our sins. And we turn to Christ for forgiveness. Turn to God, ask for his mercy and grace. Preparing the way by trusting him that nothing impossible for him. And trusting him that he is the one who has all authority. And if he is with us, who can be against us. It is good news for those who are contrite, who are empty enough to be filled. And who are broken enough to be healed. It is a good news. Verse 4 says, every valley shall be exalted. He confirms that no difficulties can prevent the Lord from delivering us. And restoring his church. Whenever he shall sing fit, let every valley be exalted. Although many difficulties are started to hinder the salvation of the church, still the hand of God will be victorious and will, will prevail. We are not even when we, in our spiritual warfare. We are not do this to own the victory because Jesus already gave us this victory. Every mountain and hell shall be laid low. It ought to be observed that many obstructions always arise whenever God makes a provision for our deliverance or wishes to aid the afflicted. And although his glory is more fully displayed by these obstructions, yet we suffer, no lose. For we behold more clearly his wonderful power when no strings or efforts of men can prevent him from gaining his object. He conducts his people through mountains and steep places in such a manner as the road were perfectly level. And by the words mountain and hell, the prophet undoubtedly spoke about every obstructions of any kind. It means there is no thing impossible before God when he chose to save his people. And this is also the good news. Even when we respond, we know 
how mighty our God is. When God sent Moses to Pharaoh and tell him, go and deliver my people, Moses said, who am I? He compared between Pharaoh and his power. But God told him, this is a wrong comparison. To compare, you have to compare God's power with your enemy, and you can see the victory. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. He means that this work of redemption will be splendid, so that the Lord will show that he is the author of our salvation. And will display his majesty and power. This indeed is very openly manifested in all places and all events. But he promises that he will do this, especially in protecting and delivering his church to display his power. Because people sometimes said, we don't see our, our signs. And this is in Psalms 74. This was a very seasonable warning that a new and striking demonstration is promised by which they may perceive that God has in his power various methods of giving relief even when he conceals them for a time. But victory, deliverance, salvation is granted for his children. And all flesh shall see he means that there will be no nation that don't see clearly that the return of the people is a heavenly work, is not a human work. It's God's work. And that God did not speak in vain by the prophet. Every nation will see the work of God because the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the guarantee. He granted that because he is the one, the faithful one, who promised that. What a comfort. Our sin being forgiven because of the work of Jesus Christ. Our service, our bondage being ended because of the work of Jesus Christ. But we need to respond with humility and prepare our heart by repent and also to show the people the wonderful story of our salvation to tell people about the work of God in our lives that's why every flesh shall see the promise is not my promise or not your promise but the promise is the promise of the faithful one when he promised, he remained faithful, even when we are unfaithful. What a comfort. I pray that God give us this comfort and give us this guarantee that he saved us and we should reveal and tell people about his work in our life. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, because even we are sinners. 
but your grace, mercy, and love bring us back to you. Your grace saved us. This is your grace. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, came to our earth, suffered on our behalf, and went to the cross, died, and paid for our sin. He granted the victory for us. Thank Lord for the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Thank Lord because your Holy Spirit prepared our heart to come and to repent for our sins. We pray, Lord, that every one of us be light for the world and we will can see your work in our lives. The people can see the good work that you planted in us and glorify your name. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.